I'm so glad you're here for part two of this interview with Neha Gupta. I can't wait to continue this conversation. The premise is college admissions, but whether you are like way past college admissions with your kids or that is decades away, there are still so many nuggets to pull from this. And one of the most beautiful things is whether we're talking about college admissions or really any other experience in our life, it can either be miserable or it can be enjoyable. And finding the ways to incorporate, to infuse joy, peace, confidence, it makes all the difference. So let's continue this conversation and get more insights on how we can just enjoy the process of hard things, whether it's college admissions or anything else, just a little bit better. Okay, back in we go. Welcome to the Balancing Busy Podcast, where I help time-starved business owners cut their hours without losing income, dropping the ball with clients, or hurting the customer experience. I'm your host, Leah Remelay. Since 2009, I've built six and seven-figure income streams while working part-time hours. This is possible and you are capable, so let's jump in. All right, so I'm hearing a lot about the essay, okay? And, and you know, I've been getting to go through with my own kids the college application processes. So where would you wait when a parent is looking at grades? Or we don't even need to say a parent, a student, anyone. Looking at grades versus uh, extracurricular versus essays. Like, where would you wait each of these yeah. and, and what should they be focusing in on? So the admissions process is holistic. To say that it's versus would be incorrect. It's mm -hmm. actually all that matters. Now the grades and academic rigor are what get you into the like consideration pile. So right. for example, Harvard had 61,000 applications for roughly 2,000 spots recently. Um, that's due to the fact that SAT was optional post COVID. Um, so, GPA rigor of classes is to confirm, can you handle the rigor of this university? So that's kind of where the first cut goes in terms of review of pile. From there, you know, they'll look at SAT score if you've submitted. A lot of times it's test optional right now, which is awesome. Um, but then after that, the extracurriculars and essays is a massive part of the application. Um, yeah, I think Princeton was saying they rejected 82% of valedictorians and 58% of perfect SAT scores. And I totally know why, because I, I do an assessment with every family that walks through the college shortcuts door. I talk to them first to ensure it's the right fit, um, because I don't want to take anything from any family if I feel like I can't make a difference. And I'll say that I, I have students that'll come at me and they don't have a lot you know, in terms of extracurriculars. So when we're going to write essays, it's going to be nearly impossible to pull out anything for these essays. So from my perspective, um, you know, I really believe that it, obviously it starts early, but the extracurriculars are what they ask in the interview process and the essay process. It's what makes you stand out. So it's not really a versus, it's more of kind of like a layering of a cake. So you've got the grades, you've got the SAT, then you've got the extracurriculars, then you've got the essay. And then what is it that makes you different out of, out of the 61,000 students that are applying? And do you have your elevator pitch figured out when they're interviewing you? These are skills that are typically not taught in the educational system. Yeah. Most students have no idea how to write a college essay. 
Um, they think they're writing a thesis English paper and it's super boring. Um, they don't know how to express their emotions or how to like pull a hero's journey process in a 600 word essay. Um, and then the second part is they don't always know how to pitch themselves. So that's kind of where college shortcuts is helping with that finessing uh, for students. So we work with students all over the world now at this point where you know, we, we're seeing there's been a huge decline in these skills in the last 10 years, especially writing skills. Um, and then post-COVID, social skills and soft skills. Yes. So we're really having to do a lot more heavy lifting with our students because of what's been going on in the last few years. Yes. Okay. So I know this question has got to be coming up in other in other listeners' minds, which is SAT and ACT being test optional. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of the schools saying they're going to go away from it completely. They're recognizing that it's not giving a full um, and accurate depiction of students. So when these schools are, you know, some of them are still saying it is test optional uh, for this year, next year, going into, I, I can't remember what Harvard's was. Theirs was like, way you'll know but way out there uh maybe 25 or so what would you what is your advice do they still need to try to take tests or can they say you know what yeah go ahead and focus on those other things that more well round you don't put the pressure on yourself here and and apply without those yeah so 71 percent of universities are not requiring the sat we are seeing a resurgence of schools saying hey actually we'd like it back um so we are seeing some schools that are saying, hey, we want it back. Some are actually requiring it this year, right? There's 30% that are still requiring it. There's some that are not requiring it. Um, my viewpoint is, is if you know your child is a good test taker, because you usually know at this point, especially if the PSAT, if they scored national merit or semifinalist, then go ahead and take it. See how your kid does. And if they need tutoring, obviously we do that, but get tutoring, get some help and see if you can increase that score. As long as the score is within the average or higher of the freshman class prior, and you can see those stats right on the school's website, then you're going to want to submit it. If your kid takes it and they're not good at it, just don't do it. That's how I look at it. Um, and then there's kids that are good at the SAT versus the ACT. The ACT has more of a sciencey, mathy feel to it. So typically, my more technical kids love that test. And then the SAT is more for like that liberal artsy type of student. So I have your child at home, take a practice test of both, see which one they kind of gear towards. Okay. Um, you know, there are many students, I will say, that are still taking SAT, that we're tutoring, and they are getting incredible scores, and they are going to submit that as a little bit of a bonus on their application. So we are seeing some students that are still kind of following the rule book and still taking it. And then we have some students that are like, I did not do so well. And I'm like, don't worry about it, just leave it. You know, so it's really it's really a choice, I'd say, in this process, which in the history of admissions, it never was before. Never. So. No, this is this is pretty darn yeah. huge. Now, how many colleges um, do you think is wise to apply to? Obviously, the more yes. they're applying to, it becomes more expensive and more time consuming. But you also don't want to be so limited that you applied to one and you didn't get in and great what's what's plan b right so so yeah what do you kind of think it, is a good sweet spot it depends on the type of student so typically with students that are like in the top 15 percent of their grade that are applying to any college that's a top 25 if there's any college that's top 25 on your list it is considered a reach school so on average what we see is students are typically applying to about 15 universities 
that is um, six to seven reach, you know, four to five targets, one to three safeties, depending on the balance they want to make on that list. But that's for my student that's, you know, a high achieving driven kid that's like, hey, I want to like do these programs or I want to apply to these types of schools. Um, I'd say the minimum honestly would be 10. And that's called a well-balanced list, like three, three and like three, right? Or four, three, three, reach target safety. It also depends on if the student's like, hey, mom, I want to stay close to home. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, then that can narrow down the list to like five schools at that point. You know, if you're in Texas, you know, there's the Applied Texas app. If you're in the UC system, there's like all the UCs on one application. So really, it depends on the student and and the family and what they're looking for. But from what we're seeing, it's pretty much right now at about 15 universities. Um, Post-COVID, it's been like nothing I've ever seen before in terms of competition. Most colleges, due to test optional, are getting way more applicants. Um, you know, to review 60,000 applications right. times four essays, plus the full applications for 2,000 spots. I mean, that's pretty much unheard of in admissions. It's never been this competitive. So that's why our view is being more safe in the process, which is do more versus less schools. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. What would be your final best tips for parents or their kids as they are embarking on this process of preparing for the the college application experience? I would say the number one thing is to breathe for a lot of parents and to realize that, you know, and to check in with yourself when you're at an event or if like you're feeling a level of your own stress and anxiety around this process where like maybe the parents are talking about something and then you feel less than Mm, um, and kind of check yourself a little bit because it's very easy to be in that comparison game. And then the second part is, is to really, you know, look at this process as a self discovery of your child's personality, what their passion is and how do we explore that through passion projects. To me, the next few years of high school is a way to figure out what it is that they really want to do. And I don't know is a solid answer that you can give, but, you know, my viewpoint is let's test drive some things. If you don't know, let's test this out. Let's test this out. And sometimes getting an outside person that may be closer to their age or someone that is not the parent, um, you know, things can be taken differently. You know, in my case, I had to become the mentor that I needed. I am the product of two entrepreneurs. People that are entrepreneurs that are parents, typically their kids have very strong personalities and they don't tend to be obedient kids. Um, Later on down the line, that's a phenomenal quality. But when you're parenting them, it can be very challenging. So really realizing that, hey, maybe my kid isn't listening as much, but you know, maybe having some outside help can make all the difference. Um, and then the next thing I say is most kids don't know how to ask for help. Um, I was one of those kids. I was like, I can do it all myself. I can do everything. I don't need any help. I'm smart enough. I can figure this out. But the truth was like, I could not figure out chemistry, could not figure out physics, like for the life of me. So sometimes as a parent, remember your prefrontal cortex is fully developed. Your child's brain does not fully develop till like mid twenties. So expecting them to have like the perfect planner, you know, like, all right, I have my planner. I know how to break everything down. Like that expectation is uh, slightly unrealistic. Realize that they're still developing and figuring themselves out. 
And those, those life skills can take a little time to figure out on how to do that specifically. But once they get it, they'll get it. We just have to understand and take a look and say, oh, when, when does it seem like my kid seems a little off? Where are they misaligned? And then hire help for it and don't take it as, oh, this is not a good thing. You know, for a lot of my families that work with me, they're like, we hired you because we want to have a good relationship with our child. Um, and it's taken like 100% of the burden off them where I kind of set it up where they're the parents, they get to hang out, put the values in your kid, have fun with them. My job is the, you know, the nagging aunt that's like, have you done this yet? Where are you with this project? What happened here? What's going on? And it's, it takes a break off the mom and dad's shoulder to be like, oh, okay, I can chill out. So my viewpoint is, is it really is about taking a breath, figuring out what your limits are um, as a parent. Everyone has their boundaries and limitations and really being open to receiving help. And I think, um, you know, being of the background and in Indian of Indian origin in India, they had something called masters that would come to the house to go over homework with students. They had, um, they had aunts and uncles and grandparents, and we had a village. And I think in America, especially that village mentality is not fully there. Um, and so I try to re bring that part of me into the conversation to say, Hey, it's okay to have a village. <laughs> it's great actually to have a village. Yes, because, agreed. It's actually great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that is one of my biggest tips is remember that having a village matters when it comes to raising your child. Mm, so good. I so agree. You know, this process, it can feel so daunting and it can feel so overwhelming. And one of the biggest things that I have learned uh, navigating kids through this process so far and even hearing from you reaffirmed is you and I have both found that when we are doing what, we're lo- what we love, it doesn't feel like work. We're excited to wake up and do it. And we need to help instill that in our kids in this process what things do you love doing and let's focus there and what things do you think you have to do because someone told you that and do you actually can we step away from that and and make it okay to say nope you you can say no to that and you can focus on where you love and then even in what they love i was talking to a psychologist who specializes in anxiety on the podcast a while back um dr cheryl ziegler and we were talking about the need for breaks like for all of us, but especially for our kids, you know, these overachieving year, you know, let's say it's a sport, they're in a sport all year round. If it's not the sport time, they're, you know, in clubs and lessons and specialty things and, and forcing these times to pause. And even throughout this project, this process, breaking it down into smaller things so that we can pause in between. And it is not this pressure, this stress, Absolutely. right? Like so often pressure, I mean, stress, and anxiety. Yeah. Into time listen frame. to this. My juniors don't do any college admissions work over the summer. Zero. Mm. I'm like, go enjoy your summer. I will see you for our in-person retreat for four days in August, and then we're done. That's amazing. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, you don't have to work on this all the time. No one sits there and works on essays all the time. Like, there's ways to do things in a way that's very enjoyable. You know, and I'm in total, and I, I think... And I, I'm sure there might be a listener out there that says like, well, but don't we have to teach our kids to like do things they don't like to do? And so that they get like that level. Yes, I understand that. But at the same time, there's a balance on what that what that level is. Are we like forcing them like 
you know, I recently watched the movie Whiplash, which is a whole extreme level of a child who wanted to drum and then ends up his fingers are bleeding as he's playing. Right. There's that that whole nother level where you lose the love of it. Yes. Right. Yeah. So really, it's about how do we you know, there's going to be hard stuff in what you love to do. There are parts of my business right. that I right. don't enjoy doing, but I still love working with kids, so I'm willing to do it. And our students are going to learn that, too, through their process. You know, they just need to figure out what that thing is. And I think that's the part that can be challenging for students is what do I actually like to do? What are my strengths? Yes. And, you know, for me, I almost got pushed into being like a doctor or researcher. My personality type was not built to go work in the back of a lab to read abstracts. Could I do it and do very well doing that? Yes, I could have. But that's not really what I was meant to do. So one of the things I really feel for parents to realize is that, um, you know, the number one thing is figuring out what you love to do, because when you love what you're doing, it doesn't always feel like work. Um, But the second thing about it, too, is like understanding those things around time management. Like I was sharing that, you know, you and I both love things like probably to do lists and figuring out how to, you know, systemize everything. Um, and I really believe that when you have a system, a plan of action, and you can break it into smaller pieces, you can achieve anything that you truly want. My TEDx was exactly like that. You know, it took me six months to prepare a 12 minute speech, um, but I broke it into small pieces and I practiced every different section and boom, it was one of my most proud moments. So I'm a big believer that you can have what you want. You can eat that cake. You can do whatever you want with your life, as long as you do it with complete alignment within yourself. Mm, so so good thank you so much this has been great and just giving insights in this whole process which i know for so many i've had so many conversations with parents especially as we were all coming up on this just wanting to make sure it was being done right so this has been so helpful and we will make sure we link to all of your things so that people can find you especially if they're like yes i want to save my relationship with my child i need your help we will make sure that is all linked so thank you for your time today thank you so much for being on the balancing busy podcast and um i can't wait to to see you and talk with you again absolutely thanks so much how are you feeling as you think about navigating the college application process with your kiddos and everything we just talked about. Here are some of the final things I wanna share with you. The first is that I really believe and agree with Neha that finding joy in the journey is so, so important. Teaching that skill to our kids, I really think it's one of the greatest gifts we can give them in a culture that celebrates accomplishment over self-care over relationships over marriages and and our kids and all the other things we need to break that cycle we need to show our kids that there is a better way and we need to start when they're young so helping them to be okay pulling back be okay enjoying the journey helping them learn how to time manage in a way that they are not constantly up against a deadline feeling that pressure so strongly that it feels like it's going to break them. That is the last thing we want for them. The other thing, and I share this with the teenagers that I get to work with, you guys know that I teach juniors and seniors in high school uh, their last two years of a four-year course program that helps them to get a seminary degree when they graduate high school. So 
in working with these kids, one of the things we've talked a lot about is taking the time to truly find out what you love. And it is okay to not know. One of the things that I think hopefully, um, as soon as I say this, you're gonna be like, yes, this is so true, is you have a kid who is great at science and you tell them you should be a doctor. You have a kid who's great at math, you say you should be an accountant or an engineer something along those lines. You have a kid that's great at writing, you say you should be a writer. You have a kid that's great at, you see what I'm saying? We put them into these buckets. Oh, you're good at math and science, be a doctor. Oh, you're good at this, be that. When that doesn't mean that that's what they're gonna love doing for the next 20, 30, 40 years. The truth is there are careers that are being invented that we don't even know about. What I do was never something on my radar when I was in school. I didn't know I could do this. We had no idea at that point what the internet was gonna become. There was certainly not a position called a YouTuber or an influencer or you know some of these careers that a lot of our teenagers actually want to do. Being open to recognizing that, and I believe this with everything in me, you can be incredibly successful at anything if you love what you are doing, if you are so passionate, if it lights you up, that you cannot wait to learn more, to dig in deeper, to find out more in that. It is so powerful. I mean, we look at million, multi-millionaires getting to do what they love, creating fitness videos or building an entire thing around organization or whatever it might be. I've built an entire career around getting to show women how to balance the busyness, how to organize their life, their business, so that they can enjoy all of the things. That was not something that any person could have told me existed as a profession in high school. So let's be open to letting them explore and find what they love. And if they think they know what they love, I am such a firm believer in encouraging them to go in and test it. If you are about to commit the next 20 to 40 years of your life in a profession, it's worth taking some time to find out you like it. For example, if they're like, I wanna be a dentist, go work with a dentist for a summer and see what you think. Do it for free. It is worth taking several months and giving your time for free to find out I cannot stand being hunched over in someone's mouth eight hours a day. It turns out this is not what I wanna do. That is worth it. So I'm a huge believer in encouraging our kids to explore, to see what they love, to find what they've always loved and been drawn to. I loved telling people what to do. I've always loved that. I loved solving things. I loved coming up with the story, figuring out how it was all gonna work, and then telling everybody what to do. And guess what? I somehow built a career on that. So there's my final thought for you. Let's help them find what they love and enjoy the journey and learn how to celebrate the process, maybe even more than they celebrate the result. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Balancing Busy podcast, where we balance the busy so that you can live your best life, reach your dreams, grow, expand, but never at the expense of our home, our health, or our happiness. I'll see you next time.